Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Remember the lion lady who was all over the news last fall? Uh, Maya Autry went viral after videos of her inside the lion enclosure at the Bronx Zoo were posted on social media. She could be seen dancing and taunting a male lion who was watching from just the other side of a small moat separating them. When police later tracked her down and arrested her, she told them that her reason for jumping into the lion's den was more spiritual than taunting. There was no mention of the fact that there are also pictures of her smoking a generous amount of marijuana just before entering the zoo. She said she would never have been injured by the lion. I fear nobody, she told reporters. No animal, no one. So no, I wasn't fearing of the lion because the lion loved me. That's why he came to me. And I let the lion know, lion, I love you. The lion was thinking, if it weren't for this moat separating us, I'd love to eat you too, right? Uh, you know. Zookeepers were not sympathetic either. They questioned whether the woman belonged at the top of the food chain with the rest of humanity. Uh, for its part, though, man, the lion didn't seem all that impressed. Well, she was in the news again in December when a warrant was issued for arrest after she failed to show for her court date. As far as I can tell, she may still remain a fugitive. Wherever she is today, it's not where she might have been. Consumed, processed, and expelled. And I hope she's getting the help she needs. By the way, the zoo was not all that thrilled to be in the news again either. While the, all the attention last fall was focused on the lion enclosure, signs could be spotting, spotted warning guests that a three-foot-long venomous tree-climbing serpent had slipped out of its cage and, at the time anyway, was also on the lamb. So we have a woman doing an incredibly stupid thing, a stunt that... Uh, would have really had her in the running for last year's Darwin Awards, the ones given posthumously to people who, uh, you know, do the uh, favor of improving a species by removing themselves from the gene pool. And then we have a dangerous tree-climbing snake. So well, we just have to talk about Adam and Eve this morning. You know, you might think you got away with something from time to time, but sin will always come back to bite you sooner or later. The Bible says that your sin will find you out. Somebody's always watching. Sin comes in all shapes and all sizes and colors, and its doorman, temptation, will usher you inside before you even remember accepting the, the, the invitation. Sin is nearly as old as creation itself, although we really don't, um, don't know how long Adam and Eve walked with God until they, they took a wrong fork on the garden path. But their story is a true one. It's really a big old leaf on every believer's family tree, isn't it? And studying it can teach us a lot about how not to go wrong, because when you dance with the devil, you're going to get blisters. When God finished his creation on the sixth day, the Bible says he looked it over and pronounced that it was very good. So we know that on that day anyway, there was no crime or poverty or sickness and no death. There were no broken homes or abusive husbands or latchkey kids, no robocalls or drug dealers or con artists or murderers or thieves. There were no earthquakes or tsunamis either. The earth was perfect. And, and all that dwelled on it lived in peace. So what happened? Defective construction? Nah. If anything, God made it too good. He may have been a little more generous with us than, he, than, than we could handle when he threw in free will. 
You know, our Old Testament lesson this morning tells us about how man first put that free will to work. You can bet it was just another beautiful day. It's like every day in, in Eden. Uh, sun shining, birds singing, the air smelled fresh and clean, the flowers were in bloom like, like uh, spring or early summer. The path beneath Eve's bare feet must have felt like a plush carpet as she walked through the garden because, well, there wouldn't have even been any sharp rocks and shoes hadn't been invented yet because, well, they weren't needed. Everything was perfect. We really don't know how she ended up under that one tree in the garden that God had warned Adam about. Maybe it was by chance. Maybe she was just curious. Or maybe, like us, she was drawn to it because it was forbidden. God had given them the fruit of every tree in the garden to eat with the exception of just this one. There were so many different varieties they might never have eaten their way through them all. But she just couldn't get past wondering what it was that made this one so different. God had called it the tree of good and knowledge, or good and knowledge of good and evil. And, and so she might have wondered, well, what is evil? And when she caught sight of the serpent hanging from the lower branch, uh, there was no cause for alarm. Nothing in the garden had ever caused her harm. And, and in its own way, it too was especially beautiful. When it spoke to her, its voice was captivating. You know, sin never seems threatening when it's trying to have its way with you. Satan disguises himself and his intentions in a whole variety of ways, um, really uh, non-threatening and especially created to appeal just to you. We really don't know much about the serpent. We know that, that this one's the devil because the Bible confirms that for us. But as far as uh, how he came to be in paradise that day, it's kind of a little vague, or even what he looked like. Rembrandt once did a pen and ink drawing called The Fall of Man that has Adam and Eve standing under the forbidden tree um, while what looks like a dragon clings to its trunk. I like that one. It's kind of like his imagination. After the fall, after Adam and Eve fell into sin and got thrown out of the garden, uh, God curses the serpent. He tells them that from now on he will have to crawl on his belly and eat dust. Yeah, makes you wonder how snakes got around before that, doesn't it? Eve isn't shocked when the serpent strikes up a conversation with her. That seems odd. It just shows how the world was a very different place in the beginning. But Satan uses that to his advantage, and here's where the lessons start, because he, he still carries around that same old toolbox. And why not? You know, it has everything he's ever needed to leave us astray. One thing that's not in it is a sledgehammer. He's never needed one. We're that easy. And so his approach is always subtle and unexpected. It seems pretty obvious that Eve didn't have a clue what was about to happen. Why would she? She was in paradise, literally. You know, what could go wrong in a place where wrong had never existed? She certainly wasn't looking for an evil serpent that day, but there was an evil serpent looking for her. Now, reason tells us that we would most likely to be running around with a target on our backs when we're down on our luck, or we've had a particularly tough week, and that, that can happen sometimes. But we're just as likely to encounter a temptation when the bills are paid, when our teenagers are talking to us, and we like our boss. Satan is subtle, and he shows up in the most unexpected moments, so we can really never let down our guards. So here's Eve standing right beneath the forbidden tree, maybe wondering what's so special about it, when he asked, just like he was reading his, her mind, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, that's close. 
just like he gets close in, uh, when he's talking up to Jesus in, the, in his temptation in the wilderness. But it's not exactly what God said, is it? Or all of what God said. So Eve corrects him, not realizing, of course, that she's being set up. No, she said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So he got her set up now, right? He's got her attention, he's got her in conversation, and he's about to get her hooked. You'll surely not die, he said, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You kind of get what's going on here? It's like a version of Bible trivia, isn't it? Draws her in. He asked, did God really say it? And Eve says, well, not exactly. He really said. Did Eve really know what God said? Was she there when he said it? No, it happens in chapter 2. He was, God was talking to Adam. And Adam, in turn, related to Eve. She knows what Adam said, that she shouldn't eat the particular, this particular fruit or even touch it or she would die. Actually, God never mentioned the do not touch it part. That was kind of Adam's ad lib for Eve's extra benefit. So what script is the serpent working from? Her, her conversation with Adam. She knows generally what God said, but she wasn't there. Her conversation was, was only with, with, with her husband. And that's when if a serpent could pounce in those pre-cursed days, he pounced. What's the lesson? Same as it is in our gospel. Know God's word. Know for yourself what he says. You know, study the Bible. Read it. Memorize from it. Study it with others. Make it your own. When Jesus was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, all he needed to defeat him was God's word. It's a powerful tool. So he was at a disadvantage, even though uh, it was no fault of her own, and she was overmatched. If she sensed any danger at all yet, she didn't show it. But that's the pattern, isn't it? Satan can make even wrong seem oh so right, and, and that's just exactly what's about to happen to Eve. He's really saying, God didn't say that. But he knows what God said. He knows the Bible better than most of us. He just doesn't believe it. And so in a brilliant, if evil, move, he takes his stand on God's promise of death by sinning. Why that one? Uh, instead of like, oh, God doesn't really love you or you can't believe a thing he says. Because this one leads to all the others. If he can convince you that you can get away with sin, then sooner or later you're going to try it. If you think that no one will know, that no one will notice, um, that you'll never be held accountable for it, one day you're going to give in. You know, why not ignore the do not sign and jump the fence into the lion enclosure anyway? No one's paying attention. The lion can't jump over that moat. Probably. And my Instagram followers will think it's so cool. Why not just walk away when the clerk hands you too much change? Why not commit adultery if you think no one will, will ever find out? Why not steal or sleep around? Because if there are no consequences for sin, how bad can sin be? Why not go all out and indulge your wildest desires? The serpent wants Eve to question God's goodness. Did he actually say? And then, so what's he holding back? Well, sure, the garden is nice and all. But if there's something in it, something about this tree that's better than all the ones I've already, I've already had, then I want it. You know, being like God, who wouldn't want that? 
He's already acted, always acted as if my happiness was important to him, but now I'm starting to feel like I'm getting the short straw. It's like you can hear the water swirling around the drain, and Eve is caught in this powerful current. She's about that far from falling into his trap. She's been hooked. She's been reeled in. Now, really, all that's left is the netter and gutter. She can't get her mind off the forbidden fruit. It's right there in easy reach. And I'll bet it's good to eat. Really good. As good as all the other fruit in the garden we can eat is. I bet, what's this one taste like, right? What is that? It's a kind of lust, isn't it? Lust of the flesh. Standing there looking up at it, she can't remember ever seeing anything so beautiful. How could she have never noticed it before? Lust of the eyes. And the serpent said it would make her wise. Wise like God. I want to be like God. What's that? Pride. Yeah. And you know what? I bet by now she's already reached up and touched it. Just a quick touch, just in case. She held her breath and maybe closed her eyes and... See? Nothing happened. Snake was right. I'm still here. Not dead. No shock. No burn. So she touched it again. Grabbed onto it. Pulled it right off the branch. Held it in her hands. Rubbed it all over. (laughs) Took a sniff. Smelled as good as it looked. Lesson here? For one thing, don't be fondling the forbidden fruit, metaphorically or otherwise. You even think about it, and as far as God's concerned, you've already gone too far. You've committed sin in your heart, just as surely as if you've taken a bite out of it, and you can't take it back. So if you don't want to get trapped, don't slow down to look, whatever fruit the devil is dangling in front of you. Don't look at it, don't touch it, don't click on it, and you sure don't want to sample it. You know, any salesman worth his salt will, will uh, try to get you to imagine that whatever you're, you're considering buying is already yours. You know, it's like, oh, just smell those leather seats. Ah, boy, you deserve this. What are the neighbors going to think when they see you pull up, park this baby in your driveway? Right? And Satan's the best of the best, just without a heart. Don't even let yourself imagine how nice that fruit would look on you or wrapped around you. Don't listen to how much you deserve it or how good it would feel. Walk away. That's how we get ourselves into trouble. You know, most people don't start out looking to have an affair and ruin their marriage. Uh, Maybe they have issues at home. Maybe they're not getting the attention they think they deserve. Uh, Maybe they feel misunderstood. They really haven't taken the time to talk it out like, like they should. So along comes a friend or a coworker, someone who's not a threat, just a, a good, sympathetic ear who seems to have an uncanny neck, uncanny neck for understanding their situation. And pretty soon they're a shoulder to lean on, and then a lunch buddy, and then someone to share a drink with, and then there's a, an attraction, and then love. And before you know it, I know it's wrong, but I really do love this person, and I know God wants me to be happy, and I feel so lonely when I'm not with them, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on, circling the drain. When Satan gets us to doubt God's goodness, sin doesn't seem so sinful. He wants you to feel deprived by God. We have a free will, and it's never hard to justify sin. See how it all works? Verse 6 says, um, Eve saw, Eve took, Eve ate. Then it says, she gave. 
Where's Adam while all this is going on? Well, evidently, according to the text, standing right next to her. She ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her. Why didn't he just kill the snake? Because it sounded pretty good to him, too. Every time we fall into sin, somebody else goes down the drain with us. It breaks up families. It breaks up businesses. It can even break up a church. Just a little bite. That's all it takes. Like so many others since, Eve did Satan's work for him by offering a bite to Adam. And you know what their first brilliant thought was if with all this new wisdom? Oops, we're naked. Let's make some coverings. I know. We'll use um, itchy, scratchy fig leaves. Maybe they needed a bigger bite. The one little bite, that one little bite might not have given them the wisdom they expected, but that's all it took to ruin it for the rest of us. Paul says in our lesson from Romans today that sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and, that, and death through sin so that death spread to all men because all have sinned. Just a little bite, a deadly bite, because along with sin, death did enter the world. Adam and Eve did eventually die, just like we will unless Jesus comes back first. And that's not what God had in mind. <clears throat> Billions of people have paid the price for our first parents' misuse of God's gift of free will, the right to choose. And we keep the tradition going, right? All the apples since haven't fallen far from that same tree. Uh, the bad use of a good gift became a sinful nature that's still passed on from generation to generation to generation. But it isn't all bad news this morning. Even as he doled out their punishment, expelling them from Eden, God promised Adam and Eve a Savior, one who would crush the head of that serpent for Adam. That Savior was Jesus. He defeated him by living a sin-free life in our place. Then he defeated him again in the wilderness. And Jesus would one day defeat him in a much more permanent sense, in the least likely of all places, on the cross, where the penalty for all our sins was atoned for. And at the empty tomb on Easter morning, where God marked our personal sin accounts paid in full by faith. God's plan of redemption for sinful man had come to full, full fruition. In the meantime, the trick is to stay close to God. Apart from him, there's no end to the kind of things we're capable of, whether in thought or word or deed. So stay close to him by staying in his word. Get even closer to him in his holy supper. Allow the spirit you received in your baptisms to strengthen you and guide you in all your ways. It won't make you perfect, but it will help you try harder. And it will keep a, a flirtation with sin from turning into a full-blown romance with Satan. Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's take a moment to confess our Christian faith together. We'll do it in this Communion Sunday in the words of the Nicene Creed. I think it's on page 8 in your bulletins. Let's stand as we confess our saving faith together. <clears throat> 